It is good to see each one of you here with us today uh, on this high and holy day, a day when we have the privilege of observing the Lord's Supper. Uh, to be able to take part in this supper is a gracious and a merciful thing. It's a, it's a statement that God loved us so much that he gives us an opportunity to take part in his son. And for a born-again believer, <laughs> a born-again believer to have no desire to be a part of the Lord's Supper is to say that we don't belong to him and he don't belong to us. That we don't want to be identified with him. This is a serious day. It's a day when if we have been saved, we should glory in Jesus Christ on this day. Because it's what we celebrate. It's what we remember, what we reflect on. That we can be here forgiven of our sins. With the testimony that we're on our way to heaven. It's because of what took place right after. Jesus had the Passover meal with his disciples. Oh, yeah, this should be a day that every believer looks forward to. If you have your Bibles today, we're going to, we, we know, I know we've been in, in 1 Corinthians and we've been going through, we're going to jump all the way to chapter 11 today because of this occasion. We're going to go ahead and move this message up a little bit uh, in the series. And as we look in chapter 11, we're going to focus today on verses 17 through 22. We're going to focus here for our reading, but we're going to be actually going from 17 through 30 throughout the message. But for our reading, we will look to verses 17 through 22. On one occasion, the Duke of Wellington was taking communion at his parish church and a poor old man went up the opposite aisle reaching the communion table he knelt down beside the duke someone came touched the poor old man on the shoulder and whispered to him to move farther away or to wait until the duke had received his bread and wine but this great commander he heard and he saw what was going on so he grabbed the man's hand and he held on to his hand to prevent the man from being able to move. And he said, don't, don't move. Don't go anywhere. We're all equal here. When we come before the Lord, we're all on level ground. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in need of a savior. And if we've been born again, we're all on level ground. We are children and heirs of God. It doesn't matter what kind of house we live in. doesn't matter who our parents was. doesn't matter what our employment is. If we've been born again, then Jesus Christ is our elder brother. He is our, our savior, our redeemer. And God is our father and we're all on equal ground. Uh, it seems that the Duke of Wellington understand the true, understood the true meaning of communion. He, he understood that the Apostle Paul, when, 
when we, what he said when we participate in communion, that we should discern the Lord's body and understand that all of us who are born again Christians are part of the body of Christ. But sadly, it appears that the church in Corinth at this time of Paul's writing, they, they didn't understand what the Duke of Wellington understood. As we prepare our hearts today to partake in the Lord's Supper, I want us to notice the reality and the remedy to partaking of the Lord's Supper unworthy. When we look here in this passage, the Bible tells us in verse 17 in chapter 11, it says, Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who approve may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of the others. One is hungry and the other is drunk. What? Do you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those? Those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? I do not praise you. This is God's holy word. God, we come before you today to give you honor, to praise you this day for what your son has done for us. In his obedience to you, God, he gave his body and he poured out his blood so that we could be forgiven of our sins. Oh God, how he has given us the privilege to have our sins as far away from us as the east is from the west so that we can have a right relationship with you. God, we give you honor and praise. And if there's one here today who doesn't, who doesn't know you through your son, Jesus Christ, who hasn't had this privilege to have their sins forgiven, we pray that you would speak to their hearts, that your Holy Spirit would minister to them through this message and that God, today they'd give their life to you. And God, we'll praise you for everything that's accomplished. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. So now from our previous messages, what we know is that the church in Corinth was like many churches today. They, they were a church that had many gifts. They were a church that had lots of potential. Um, but it was an unhealthy church. The church was full of problems that ranged from division over preachers, immorality, lawsuits. Um, they had issues with infidelity in marriage. They had other issues, but today we're going to focus on the fact that they had issues with the Lord's Supper. And their issue was that they would continuously partake in the Lord's Supper unworthy. 
So when we look at today's passage, we want to focus our attention on the fact that there were problems here in the conduct of these believers in Corinth. And what we begin to see is there's a reality to this. There's a reality to partaking the Lord's Supper unworthy. Uh, We've heard this over and over in these last several messages. We've heard the reality and the remedy. And today's not going to be any different. We're going to focus first on the reality. The reality is that there's often times when the Lord's Supper is taken unworthy. Due to problems here in the church in Corinth, they were facing divisions of cliques and factions. And because of these these divisions, these things arose, these, these cliques and these factions. And whenever we have divisions and cliques within an organization or even within the organism of a church, church body will find corruption and and there in in the Corinthian church there was corrupt they were corrupting their testimony but they wasn't only corrupting their testimony they were corrupting the Lord's Supper now some of you may ask how could they corrupt the Lord's Supper as a matter of fact they they observed it regularly they not only observed it regularly but some scholars say that they they suggest that they observed it daily and we are told to as often as we do this to do this in remembrance of him so it's something that we should do often and as they were doing it often so we may wonder how was it that they were corrupting it the believers in Corinth had also incorporated a love feast in other words they would bring a communal meal together so everyone that was there who was part of the church could take part those who were rich and poor those who were those who were slaves and free men and women boys and girls they were all able to partake in this supper and and so it doesn't sound like it would be corrupt but the idea because the idea here was that everyone would have enough to eat the idea was that that no one would go lacking from this supper and because of all of this we would think uh, there's no way this supper can become corrupt right that's what we would think but You know, they had good intentions, but they didn't have good practice. James 1 and 22 tells us to be be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving ourselves. In other words, when we hear the word and we want to boast about the word, but we fail to do the word ourselves, then we're just deceiving ourselves as we're trying to deceive others. We're, We're really not who we say we are. We're not the person that people think we are, but we're a flaw, we're a fraud, and and God is not pleased with our lives and that's what was going on in the church in Corinth instead of everyone coming to share in their meal everyone gathered into their own cliques they gathered into their own factions verse 21 tells us for in eating each one takes his own supper ahead of the others and one is hungry and another is drunk you know what that tells me they were bringing their food and what they were doing was eating their food and when at this meal and once they got full on their um, food then they sat aside and, and it left those who didn't have much those who didn't have anything to bring to this meal they were left alone they were left to be hungry while everyone else was full but it wasn't just that they were feasting at this time instead they were take they were making this a social gathering rather than a worship service they were drinking and and some were getting drunk during this dinner during this supper the reality is that the believers in Corinth had not come together for 
for the better, but they had actually come together for the worse. The reality is that there was no real Christian fellowship. There was no love whatsoever taking place. Although the church partook in the bread and the cup, it was not celebrating the Lord's Supper. Instead, they were engaging in corruption. They were setting some higher than others. They were giving some attention and they were neglecting others. They were putting some people as, as first-class Christians and others as second-class Christians. And there's nothing more corrupt than that in the church. We're all on level ground. <laughs> in their selfishness, neglect and indulgence, they were corrupting their testimony by not reverencing the Lord, our Savior, and it led into them corrupting the Lord's Supper. This corruption was so that we have to notice what Paul does here. We have to notice his reaction. His reaction is, what? Now, he's not asking a question with that word. He's making a clear statement. As a matter of fact, what we would probably say here around Robinson County is, what are you doing? I can't believe you're doing this. That would have been our reaction. <laughs> Paul's next three questions gives us a glimpse into just how corrupt things were in this church. He asked them, do you not have houses that you can go and eat and drink in? If you're going to have a feast, in other words, and you're going to eat your meal and you don't want to share your meal with anyone else, go home. Just cook and eat at home. He's saying here, he said, do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? Because when you are neglecting them, you're putting them to shame. You know, I, I, I wonder how many people have left a church because they felt neglected by that church. I guarantee you they didn't feel neglected by the sinners in that church. They felt neglected by the Christians in that church. Oh, and the center for our center friends that come to visit with us, they should never feel neglected by the church. Because if you neglect me, you can't win me. You make, you make me feel like I'm less than you, that's fine. I wouldn't say a word to you. You just might never see me again. I'm just telling you the truth of how I am. I, I'm, I'm one that struggles enough with my self-esteem. I struggle enough with feeling less than. So I'm not going to hang around those who make me feel less than. Here he asked them, shall I praise you in this? Paul, Paul's basically, I almost, when I read through this and really slowed down and focused on this, I almost wondered, is Paul actually an East Coaster? You know, I, I want the sarcasm in his, in these statements. It made me think he was from this East Coast, maybe somewhere from New York to Florida, because we're known for our sarcasm. And, and it sounds right here that he is looking at them dead in the eye and said, I can't believe you're doing this. How can I praise you when you're neglecting people? So my question would be, now, we, we don't do that here at Reedy Branch. We don't neglect people. We don't, 
We, we don't have communal meals to where we eat just our food that we bring and we, we take everything else back home and we neglect those who, are, who have less than we do. We, we come together and we get, I'm serious now. I, I never in my life, I've been in church all my life. All I knew was church. When I weren't going to church, all I knew was church. Uh, when I was disobedient to God, all I knew was what, where I was supposed to be. When I would lay in bed on a Sunday morning, I knew that in my heart, my mind, that I was going to be whipped all week because I was being disobedient and not going to the house of God. That's just the way I was raised. And I never saw my dad go to a, a line at a church when they were having a dinner twice never saw that never saw him go to the line twice during one meal until he came in ate here <laughs> he came to a homecoming here the only homecoming here he ever got to come to and he went through that line twice Mama looked at me, I looked at him, and I said, what is he doing? He don't do this. She said, it must have been good. <laughs> now, as a matter of fact, you want me to tell you why I'm always the last to eat? Why the only time is that past appreciation when you might get me to eat before other people? It's because if someone's going hungry, it's going to be me. Everybody else is going to have a chance to eat when we have a meal. We're not going, we don't do that here. And I'm so glad you don't do that here. But what would this corruption look like for us? We've got to apply this today. So my question would be, if we as a church were going to corrupt the Lord's Supper, what would that look like? What, what would it look like for us to corrupt our testimony? Could it be if we're divided into cliques and factions? Would it be if we allow our attitudes and preferences to divide us? If our hearts and minds are on Jesus Christ, should our preferences really matter? If our hearts and minds are on Jesus Christ, does it matter whether we use prepackaged elements like we are today or that the elements are prepared before us? If our hearts and minds are on Jesus Christ, does it really matter if we serve you by passing it down the aisle or that you receive it by being served at the door? If, if our hearts and minds are on Jesus Christ, shouldn't we be excited about every born-again believer, no matter what their age is, that they're partaking in the Lord's Supper? Can you believe there are churches that will ask everyone to leave if you're not a member of their church and not partake in their Lord's Supper? It doesn't matter if you're born again or not. You are not welcome to their table. I can't understand that because if we've been born again, we're of the same household of God. Oh, by the way, if you are a born-again believer and you're visiting with us, you're welcome to this table today. You're welcome. But you must be born again. You know, if our minds and hearts are on Jesus Christ, shouldn't we also warn those who have unconfessed sin in their lives and who may have an alt against their brother to seek forgiveness from their brother or sister and make sure things are right between them and God before they partake of the supper. 
You know, the reality is we serve a real enemy and he is out to corrupt our testimony. He's out to corrupt the partaking of the Lord's Supper. And if we're not careful, he will use us to divide the body of Christ into cliques and factions. And when he is successful, we will be guilty of what Paul says in verse 20. What does he say? Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Instead, we'll be there to fuss and gripe and complain. And what we do will not be true worship. It'll be meaning, it'll be a meaningless form and faction. That's all it'll be. But you know, there the good news is, while this is a reality, there is a remedy. Aren't you glad that there's always a remedy? There's always a remedy to sin. And the remedy is Jesus Christ, isn't it? He's the remedy to sin. But the remedy to this reality of the Lord's Supper, we'll find in verses 23 through 34. In these verses, Paul specifically addresses the Lord's Supper. It's an ordinance. It's an outward sign of spiritual reality. When we partake in the Lord's Supper, we identify ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are saying he is part of us. We are part of him. And if we want the remedy... The reality of corruption as being part of the Lord's Supper, then we must recognize that it's not a time that we just come together. But it's a time of reflection. It's a time when we set our hearts and minds on Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. The night Jesus was betrayed, he was having the Passover meal with the disciples. And when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and he said, eat, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When he said, do this in remembrance of me, Jesus wanted them to reflect on him and all that he had done and all that he was about to do for them. Whenever they would partake in the bread, he wanted them to remember that it represented his body. He wanted them to remember that, it rep- that, that he was the eternal son of God, that he left heaven and he came to this sin-cursed world. He was born of a virgin and he took on the form of man. He wanted them to remember that he suffered in his body. He bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity and the chastisement the peace was upon him he was beaten he was nailed to an old rugged cross and though not a bone in his body was broken he suffered the most humiliating death of his day he was accursed for you and I so as often as the disciples partook in this supper they were to do this in remembrance of him And they couldn't do that without reflection. They had to reflect upon the body of Jesus Christ. The one who was equal with God. But made of himself no reputation. Took on the form of a bondservant and come in the likeness of men. Being obedient to the Father, even to the death of the cross. Yes, and when he had given thanks, he broke the bread, shared it with them, and then he took the cup. 
and said, this is the cup of my new covenant in my blood. Do this. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus wasn't just wanting them to reflect upon his body that was given for them. He wanted them also to reflect upon the blood that would soon be shed. It's a time of reflection, a time to remember that the wages of sin is death. And all of us are born in sin and shaped in iniquity. We all owe a debt that we cannot pay. So God offers us the gift of eternal life. If we will receive it. When the blood of bulls and goats and lambs would not suffice for the forgiveness of sin, Jesus paid the sin debt. He, the spotless lamb of God, willingly allowed them to hang him on the cross. He shed or he poured out his blood so that we could be forgiven. So our sins would be washed away. Oh, I'm so glad my sins are as far as the east is from the west. That they're nowhere near me today. That when Jesus died for my sin, when I received him, he saved me from my past, my present, and my future sins. In other words, the penalty of my sin has already been took care of. I'll have to face the chastisement of my sin. Oh, yeah, in the body? Yeah, he will, he will chastise me. Why? Because he loves me. If he doesn't chastise me, he doesn't love me, and I'm, I'm not his. But because he loves me, he'll chastise me when I get out of hand. He'll do me better than daddy could do me. He'll do me better than the church can do me. He'll fix me if I belong to him. If I don't belong to him, I'll walk away living any kind of way I want to live. And I'll do whatever it is I want to do. But if I can live that way, I don't belong to him. I never have. He separated my sins from me. He cried out on the cross. It is finished. The work to save, to redeem, to forgive us of our sins is complete. Because with his stripes, we are healed. Church family, the Lord's Supper is a time of reflection for what Jesus has done for us. But it's also a time of reflection upon ourselves. The Apostle Paul instructs us in verses 27 through 30 not to partake of this supper unworthy. Instead, every man, woman, boy, or girl should examine him or herself. We are to be sure that our participation of the Lord's Supper is not out of selfish motives. It shouldn't matter to us who's sitting around us. It shouldn't matter to us what, what people will say or what they think if I don't partake of it. I want to encourage you. If you've got unconfessed sin in your life, don't partake of this till you get that straight. If you've got an alt against your brother or sister, don't partake of this supper until you get that alt straight. But wait a minute, preacher. You said a while ago that, that, it's, that for, an um, for a believer to not partake in the supper, it's as saying that I don't belong to Christ. Well, I want to tell you this is an encouragement for you to get things right. And if you don't want to get things right, chances are you haven't been born again. We must be aware that our lives are to be lived out in service, service to our Lord and Savior and service to one another. If we have unconfessed sin of selfishness in our lives or if we've sinned against one another, 
We are to repent and reconcile. Reconcile to each other and reconcile ourselves to God. But we cannot truly worship God with unconfessed sin lingering in our hearts. Paul shares that if we do participate in the supper unworthy, hear me, hear me close. We're in danger of sickness or even death. So, the remedy, the remedy of partaking of the Lord's Supper is that we reflect upon what Christ has done for us. Oh, for those of us who know him, he has removed the penalty of our sin. Oh, we don't have to fear death. I was at a wedding yesterday and a woman asked me about church and asked me if we were still in. And she's so excited that next week's their first Sunday back in. But her words were this, that every born again believer should be ready to die for Christ. We shouldn't be afraid to die. Because if we've been born again, death is our friend. He takes us from this world into his world. He takes us from this life into eternal life. He takes us from the presence of our brothers and sisters into his presence for all eternity. We sing a song that it's a place where there's a never-ending day. (laughs) Oh, I'm longing for that day, aren't you? Now, I don't fear death anymore. I used to couldn't sleep because I feared death, but I don't have a problem sleeping now. I have a bigger problem waking up. <laughs> because of what Jesus has done for me. Because he loved me when I didn't love myself. Because he cared for me when I couldn't care for myself. Because he was sufficient to remove my sins. Because he was faithful to be the spotless lamb of God. Oh, when I reflect upon him, I see the remedy. I see the remedy of taking the Lord's Supper unworthy. When I reflect upon myself, I see the remedy because it brings conviction that Brother Brian was talking about earlier, a conviction that I better make things right. That I better get myself right with my brother or sister. Or I won't be right with God. He's told us in his word that... (laughs) That people will know that we are his disciples because of our love for the brethren. Folks, if you can't love me, you may not like me. There are times my wife and daughter don't like me. There are times I'm sure mama don't like me. But they better love me. (laughs) I'm sure they do. We may not like everything about one another, everything each other says, everything each other does, but we have to love one another. And what I mean by that is that we're willing to give of ourselves to help one another. That we often find ourselves praying for one another. 
that we find ourselves wanting the best for one another. That we're not holding grudges because someone gets something that we've desired. But we're excited and we're praising God for his faithfulness in their lives. Yes. It should bring conviction to our hearts when we reflect upon ourselves. Enough conviction that we're willing to get things right with God. I wonder right now what's on the hearts of each one that's here. As we're getting ready to partake in this supper, I wonder on your heart right now, are you reflecting? I'd ask every head bowed, every eye closed. And and my question is to you, is are you reflecting? Here's a time right now for every born again believer to reflect about what Jesus has done for you. It's a time right now to not only reflect about what he's done for you, but also to reflect upon your life right here and now. Oh, it's a time when we set our hearts and minds on Jesus and not about our neighbor. It's a time when we set our hearts and minds upon our relationship with him and not upon anything else. And maybe there's someone here who's lost, who don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe someone here who's in a backslidden condition, who has drifted far from God. Now is a time. Now is a time for you to make a decision. Jesus came and died for you. He gave his life so that you could have eternal life. He gave his body so you could receive a new body. He poured out his blood so that you could be filled with him. Would you today, as he bled and died for you, would you today consider your soul salvation? Would you consider giving your life to him because he gave his life for you?